He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you for taking time to join us as we take time to learn from God's Word together. The message you are about to hear comes from the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Listen to more sermons or learn more about the church at our website, capenazarene.org. As I was finding myself thinking of ways to talk about ways in which God has been victorious, I was running through a list of different examples. And I was like, well, I know I've given that one as an illustration before. I've given that one as an illustration before. And I think to myself, man, I don't just want to repeat myself. I thought, well, I'll just summarize a bunch of different ones. And then, and so that was my plan for this sermon was I was just going to summarize a bunch of different ways in which I've seen God at work or answer prayer or bring victory or or knock down barriers. And I found myself thinking, uh, while we were singing today, I'm like, I bet we have testimony here in this church. Whether it's encouragement, knowing someone who has uh, worked successfully before is going to be working with me, or, or, or something like uh, granting a victory uh, over birth again and the, the beauty of life, or, or overcoming like uh, the barriers of how do we deal with transition that happens where I just want to volunteer and things to be easy and nice to give glory to God, and now there's extra stresses. Or, or just like, you know, the, the everyday kind of stresses of life and the grumbling that can happen, yet God is still able to meet all of those needs and bring victory and help us out. And so that's where we're at in our pastor's scripture today. So thank you again so much for, for your testimony, because what we find is God is still at work and is indeed knocking down, if you will, the things that get in our way. The passage of scripture I want to share with you today is a very well-known passage of Scripture. This was one that I looked at and I was like, I'm sure I've preached this before. I don't remember when or if I have. I was kind of shocked when I looked at some of my old records and I said, wait a minute, it's been a long time if I have at all because I know this passage. This is a passage that is in like just about every vacation Bible school, every Sunday school. This is, this is, this is, a, a, this is a passage that is very well known. I mean, this story that I'm about to share with you even animated vegetables told us about this story. And so, so this, is, this is Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 20. Yes, that is a reference to Veggie Tales, that old 90s cartoon. So, uh, Joshua chapter, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 20. Now Jericho was shut up inside and out because of the Israelites. No one came out. No one went in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have handed Jericho over to you, along with its king and soldiers. You shall march around the city, all the warriors circling the city once. This you shall do for six days, with seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. The priests blowing the trumpets, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people will shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and all the people shall charge straight ahead. And so Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and have seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horns in front of the Ark of the Lord. And to the people he said, go forward, march around the city, have the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. 
And the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark, while the trumpets blew continually. To the people, Joshua gave this command. You shall not shout, or let your voice be heard, nor shall you utter a word until I, the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. And so the ark of the Lord went around the city, circling it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord passed on, blowing the trumpets continually. And the armed men went before them, and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. On the second day, they marched around the city once and then returned to the camp. And they did this for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at dawn and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they uh, marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers we sent. As for you, keep away from the things devoted to destruction so as not to covet and take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel an object for destruction, bringing trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpets, they raised a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So the people charged straight ahead into the city and captured it. This story, Joshua chapter 6, is a, is a story of the people of God just entering the promised land. The city of Jericho is right on the border. They've crossed the Jordan River, and here's Jericho. And this city represents the first Mark of them returning to the land that their forefathers had. This city is the first barrier, the first uh, uh, group of people who have been living in this land that their ancestors had lived in before they were enslaved in Egypt. And uh, Joshua is leading the people of Israel. Moses had led them out of Israel. When he dies, he passes this on to Joshua. So now we are here at the beginning of the book. And Joshua has finally just led them. And they crossed the Jordan River much the same way they had crossed uh, the Red Sea. And, uh, and they, are, they are ready for what God is going to do. But what they see, of course, what is described here is, George, is Jericho in its glory days. Jericho with high walls and tall walls, and they are uh, wondering how are they going to overcome this. But God says to them, not what He will do, He says to it in the present tense. He says, you're going to beat these people. These people are as good as defeated. I've handed them over to you. It's like He he said He's already done it, even though the walls are still there. He's letting them know, look, I brought you through the wilderness. I brought you to the promised land this is it. Here it is. And it seems like, but wait, there's still a barrier here. But God is saying, I'm going to be faithful. It's as good as done. Now this scene has all the accoutrements, all the appearances, all the details of what looks like an ancient, um, of ancient warfare. When you have a city with walls that you want to uh, attack or defeat, Uh, There's really only two ways of doing that if you can't break through the walls. There's only two ways of defeating a city like this. If If your army can't bust through the walls, one way is through trickery. 
subterfuge of some, some sort. You'll see an example of that in two chapters when uh, there'll be another battle and what they'll do is they'll fight and then they'll retreat and the, and the people they're fighting like, oh, they're retreating. We got them. And they'll go chase them down and then, aha, nope, we were ready for you all along. We just knew you'd chase us. And so a little bit of trickery to kind of get them to uh, open up their doors and come out. The most common example of that is like, uh, like, like the Trojan War with the wooden horse and the soldiers that sneak in through this gift. But, uh, and so, you know, if somehow we can trick them to opening up their gates, we can get in. But right now, Jericho is boarded up. No one's coming in. No one's getting out. The only other way to defeat them, if you can't break through the walls, is through a siege. You just wait them out. And uh, you see if uh, you can possibly find a way to get in. A siege where you just kind of surround them. And so it has that kind of appearance. The, the soldiers are going to surround the city. In fact, they're going to march around it. And in surrounding a city, one of the things you are looking for, one of the things you are hoping to do in a siege, on the one hand, is demoralize them. Let them know you're still there. And so you're going to shout taunts. You're going to see if you can get them to uh, uh, open up their gates. You're going to let them know, hey, the end is nigh. Why are you waiting? Just, let's just get this over with. But, uh, and so that is, that is part of the strategy. But, of course, one of the words here is that this is not a normal military operation because they're going to be silent. There's not going to be any taunting. There's not going to be a, you better give up now if you want to live when we come through. There's no, uh, there's no threats like that. There's no, how hungry are you getting today? There's nothing like that. They're quiet. But, but, but also, one of the strategies of, of walking around is not only the ability to taunt, but also, in doing so, you might hope to find a weakness in the wall. Maybe in the initial assault, there's a weakness that if you direct your army there, you could break through it. Or maybe in going around a city uh, during a siege, uh, you might find that over time, somebody in that city starts to get hungry. As you know, the, all the trade routes are blocked off, all in and out, activity is out. It's just a matter of time before they run out. And maybe if someone gets desperate enough in the city, they'll start to say, well, I can at least save myself, and they'll make a deal. They'll open up the gates at night and let you in, and, uh, and, and you can save them. That is how ultimately the Babylonians will take over Jerusalem before they go into exile. But that's a whole other story. And so that's, that's usually the hope in a military event like this when there's a siege. And it's supposed to last a long time. And so this has all the appearance of a siege, but there is something significantly different. I've already mentioned the one is that they're all quiet. Other than the sounding of the trumpet, there is nothing else happening from the troops. There, there is no psychological warfare happening here. And in, with the march around the building, you see that this is more than just the military members. There's also priests in this march. And with these seven priests, there's also the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant has always been for them a symbol of God's presence. The Ark held within it the Ten Commandments. The Ark held within it Aaron's staff that had turned into a serpent. The Ark represented for them uh, the presence of God among them. In fact, they had found uh, in the past that when the, uh, when the ark went with them, God was with them. And so there's a very real way of, for them of understanding that this act of marching around, they have the ark in the center of this parade. They have God at the center of this event. This event in many ways seems 
less like a military march and more like a worship procession. Just, just, just a couple weeks ago, we had an ordination service. Uh, just last week, it was, on, uh, it was on Friday of last week. And, uh, and there was a procession of all the ordinands getting ready for ordination, and then afterwards a procession coming out, and everyone following afterwards. Or like at a wedding, right? When you have the bride and groom, they lead, they go out, and then the party goes up. Then everyone else, there's a procession. There's an orderly way in which everyone goes around the building or goes around the sanctuary to, to pay their respects and to congratulate them. Or like we, every single Sunday when we give the offering, or we come and take communion, We march around the sanctuary. It is a worshipful procession. In Joshua chapter 6, I can't help but think it's just like this. The ram's horns were not just used for uh, for the military. It was also used in their worship. And then you have the priest there, and you have the ark here. There's a sense in which this is absolutely tied to their worship of God. And I want to say today that when, when I look at this, I can't help but think that what is the barriers in front of us as well that seem to get in the way of where we thought God was leading us, that God also wants to help bring those down, and He does that first and foremost when we make Him the center of our lives. And, and, and what we might do to overcome those barriers, what we might do to overcome problems in our life or in our communities, whatever we might do, there might, it might have the look... It might have the form of all kinds of good practices. I have issues I need to take care of. Okay, I'm going to see a, I'm going to see a counselor, whether it's for, for myself or for my marriage or for, for, for some other issue. Okay, I see that. It has all the form of that. But you know what? To help overcome this also, I want to have God in the middle of that as well. If we want to overcome something in our society, if we want to come, uh, overcome a poverty or racial injustice or, or all kinds of number of issues, there are things that we can do. We can educate one another. We, we can try to make sure that there are laws passed to, to, to help take care of others. But if God isn't also right there in the midst of it, guess what? We're still going to have barriers. We're still going to have walls. We're still going to have this, but I have what I have and you don't have what I have and how much of what I have am I going to let you have? And there's still that barrier there. In Joshua chapter 6, I think it's kind of funny that in this story where God's supposed to be first, what he tells them as they go in is, this isn't going to be a matter of what you have versus what they have. It's all the Lord's. Keep that in mind. Everything we have is the Lord's. And so, so in whatever we do, to help overcome the, the, the problems and the hiccups in our life, all the best practices that are still good to do. In the midst of all of that, we need to have God first in order to help see that God wants to tear down the barriers that get in the way of our relationships or get in the way of, 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 of our relationship with our, with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family, with, with, with our community. That God can help bring that down if... In the midst of all the best practices, we remember all of this is to give honor and glory to God, to keep Him at the center. And this is what they do. Now, one of the things in this story you might have uh, recognized is that they mentioned the number seven a lot. There's seven priests, there's seven days. There's seven horns. Uh, they're marching on the seventh day. They're marching seven times around. There's this, there's this sense in which uh, that number has some kind of 
importance. And without a doubt, that number does have kind of a general meaning of completeness uh, in, uh, uh, in, in the ancient mindset, a general num- number for, for the exact amount needed. But there's something interesting that happens just before they get to Jericho. In uh, Joshua chapter 5, verse 10, and I didn't read that for us before, but if you read the whole story or looked back, in Joshua chapter 5, verse 10, just before Jericho, it says they celebrate the Passover meal. The Passover, you might remember that story when I did the series on the sacrifices. The Passover is they're getting ready to leave Egypt and there was a a sign that the angel would pass over and not judge the people of God. And yet indeed what they found is is the angel did pass over them and they are saved from Egypt and and they go forward. And from then on, they are to commemorate that day every single year with a seven day feast. A seven-day celebration of God liberating them from slavery, of passing over them, giving grace to them, and leading them to victory. And now, from the very beginning of Passover to now, on the cusp of entering the Promised Land, from beginning to end, there is in the center the Passover, the celebration, a seven-day celebration. And I cannot help but think, when Joshua says to them, right after celebrating seven years that God had saved them from slavery. And he says, and guess what, guys? Here we are, right at the edge of victory. And you know what we're going to do? Seven days we're going to march. And there's going to be seven priests, and there's going to be seven horns, and we're going to go around seven times on the seventh day. Without a doubt, when he says that to them, those people are going to be thinking, we just celebrated Passover for seven days. This victory in Jericho is a symbol of God's desire and victory to lead us out of slavery, to lead us out of that which holds us back. And so this is, without a doubt in my mind, an example that God is still liberating and still saving today, that God, uh, that this God has tied their victory not to their military might, not to their military prowess. He has tied it to His grace in their life. And so indeed, today in our life, God still wants to be involved in the midst of whatever practices we need to do to make sure we are able to move forward in our life in a healthy way to keep God in the center because He is interested in what we do and how we honor Him with our lives. Someone watching might be saying, wait, even me? Even me? Do you know how big some of those barriers are? Even me? Do you know how, 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 how much time some of us spent putting up walls to make sure I didn't have to deal with somebody or deal with that? Even me, based on what I've done in the past, you think God will tear down those walls? In this story, he tells them when the walls fall, you're going to go in and you're going to be victorious, but you're going to remember this. You're going to save Rahab and her family. You're going to save Rahab and everyone in her home. Rahab, we know about Rahab. Uh, Just a few uh, chapters earlier, there was some messengers. This chapter calls them messengers. They were spies. They were spies who were going out to kind of get a lay of the land and see what was happening. And they were nearly caught, and they went and they uh, and they found a, a, a moment of respite, a moment of safety from Rahab, someone who was the lady of the night. And she helps them escape. And God remembers her. And she's the only Rahab in Scripture. And she was just mentioned a couple chapters ago, but yet nonetheless, in chapter 6, they call her Rahab 
the prostitute. You're going to meet Rahab. And you're going to be like, wait, this can't be the Rahab that he was talking about. She's a prostitute. No, that Rahab. Can God really desire to liberate, to tear down the walls, the barriers, the things that have got in my way for so long? If God is going to offer liberation and saving activity for even this one, whom according to all the other laws in Scripture shouldn't be a part of the people of God at all. Yes, God desires to break down those walls, even for us, even for Rahab. And what he does is he uh, saves and he delivers them. And all that they do is be faithful to the call of God in their life and keep him centered in their life. Throughout my life in the church, I have seen people who have, uh, uh, who, have, who have testified about serious hardships in their lives, whether it was from divorce or whether it was from house burning down, but yet they would talk about how God has seen them even when it seemed like they'd lost everything, everything in their family or everything in their possessions, but yet... They would testify about how God had seen them through. I've seen people who were at odds, who had police called on each other, but yet in going to church would find themselves saying after a while, we're okay. I've seen people who have made drastic mistakes in their lives, destructive habits in their lives, but yet through faith in God have turned around and said, that doesn't need to be who I am anymore. I've seen people when when putting God first find employment or find relief from poverty because of what has happened uh, in putting God first in their life. There are all kinds of forms in which God might use and might work that are helpful for us. But in it all, keep God center and let us be surprised at what He's able to do and the barriers He's going to knock down in our life. I hope that you will continue to pray day in and day out. God, what do you have for me? What do you have for my community? What do you have for the relationships and and the networks that I have? And let us be surprised by what God is able to do and the victories he's going to bring in our life and the lives around us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a blessing indeed it is to be able to... uh, to see and know that you have called us in the regular activities of life, in the, in, in the normal goings-on that sometimes are just as they've been any other day or in any other situation, but yet you have reminded us that if we will keep you centered, if we will keep you uh, right in the midst of things, and we'll have an eye for, or an ear for what you are saying, that Heavenly Father, you can indeed still liberate, still save, and still knock down the barriers that get in the way of the progress we can make in our life, in our relationships, and what you want to do. And so, Heavenly Father, it is my hope and my prayer that uh, you would keep guiding us back to you. Keep guiding us and putting our, uh, our hearts, our minds, our souls in your hands and saying, Heavenly Father, we want to be faithful to what you are going to do and where you are going to lead. And in it all, Lord, say everything is yours, this life, everything we have. Lord, just keep tearing down barriers, breaking down those walls. Let us continue to learn how to love you and love our neighbor. 
Amen. Amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. Our website also includes instructions for subscribing to our podcast so you can have a message delivered to you weekly. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.